Thank you again to all new attendees who have joined us for today's Let's Discuss A Course in Miracles webinar. I'm Tara, your host for this webinar today, and I'm a member of the Zoom team at the Foundation for Inner Peace. We are holding these Let's Discuss webinars as an expression of our goal of extending love through the teachings of A Course in Miracles more widely. We have two guests today who are the co-presidents of the foundation. They are Dr. Bob Rosenthal and Tam Morgan. And the format today is going to be informal in terms of Q&As, he said, she said, with the co-presidents. So we have a large turnout today and we have a lot of participant questions. So I really wanna thank you all for providing questions ahead of time on the registration form and via email. And I also want to invite everyone to feel free to write into the Q&A panel in the webinar today to add live questions and we'll alternate between the two and we'll essentially let Holy Spirit guide us. So that's the understanding of how we'll pace today and please understand that because of the sheer volume of questions, we might not be able to get to everyone's. With all that set aside, let's take a moment to just come together through the course with the use of a section and quote from the course as an opening prayer. There will always be this place of rest to which you can return and you will be more aware of this quiet center of the storm than all its raging activity. This quiet center in which you do nothing will remain with you giving you rest in the midst of every busy doing on which you are sent. For from this center, you will be directed how to use the body sinlessly. Okay. And with that, Tam, would you like to take it away? Sure. Hello, good morning, good evening, everyone. Um, i just like to start by saying that for me, the original inception of the idea of he said, she said was actually about the masculine and feminine. A lot of people have come forward and said that they don't like that the, the course came in strong terms of masculine terminology. Uh, and the father, the son. Um, and there are people who have changed it completely for themselves and by the time they've gotten to the end of changing it to all she uh they realized it didn't matter and it doesn't matter for me it is like this incredibly beautifully wrapped package where a feminine presence is it comes through the spirit and even though the terminology or it's written through a masculine perspective it's it's all the same and in that, because there is an experience now of a stronger feminine principle by many coming into this level of illusion, um, I thought it would be fun to do this with my partner, Bob, um, from the perspectives of feminine and masculine, which I might take the masculine approach and Bob might take the feminine at some times but that there, that there really is um, some differences in the way that we see things as individuals and from those energies. 
So in that, um, for me, I felt like I was just, I wanted to come, show up, be present without any preparation at all. And that's my way of being present. And Bob's way of being present is, is looking at questions and fielding some and seeing what, what are the greatest, uh, how many questions are about certain things and respecting and honoring that to answer some of those. But I didn't even want to hear what they were. So just in that spirit, as you know, um, that's how we are showing up in this kind of game together, play together, I should say. So in that, we both welcome you all. And I think Bob has one thing to say in particular. Okay. Well, but now, now that you've given that lead, of course, I, I have to follow up on that as well. Um, so two thoughts. Um, we are currently being visited by one of our um, Israeli translation team members, Efrat Sar Shalom, and she reminded me at dinner last night that in Hebrew and in Judaism, the Holy Spirit, Shekinah, is absolutely feminine, and that Jesus would have known this for sure. Um, didn't make it into the course that way. Okay, okay. Um, there are reasons for that that we won't get into today, but the feminine suffuses the course to the extent that the Holy Spirit is how we connect with each other and with with God. Um, the other thing is, yeah, I, I, I looked through some of the questions. I couldn't get through all of them. Some of you are not going to have your questions answered, forgiveness opportunity, um, but there's a good chance that they'll be answered in subsequent webinars that we're doing. You know, this is, this is not, this is a beginning, not an ending. And with that, the one thing I wanted to ask, I'm sure you're all dying to know, what did we mean in the invitation when we said BYOS? Well, if you'll remember back to high school, BYOB meant bring your own beer, and we didn't think beer would be a great idea. Nobody wants to be drunk while doing a webinar. Uh, so BYOS followed in the spirit of the line before it, come as you are, bring your own self. You don't have any choice in that, really, but you may not know that yet. So you're here, we're here, we're all bringing our own self. That, that self is a oneness. We all share that self. And in that spirit, we hope to have some fun and uh, do some, answer some questions. Fantastic. Thanks, both of you, for that intro. And I want to just uh, start first now with some already submitted questions. We had one, not one, but many, close to 14 in a category that Bob singled out in terms of how do we de deal with the current political climate, including climate change, uh, discrimination, you name it. So political climate change issues through A Course in Miracles. Should I start? Yeah, because you're prepared. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I don't think. Um, yeah, this, this is, I mean, this comes up in study groups. Uh, it's certainly come up in our study groups. I think it, it might be the issue of our times. And we kind of spiked the punch by starting our, our invite with, you know, in the spirit of the democratic debates. We weren't really trying to reference anything political in that. It was just, you know, yeah, that's a debate. And this is a non-debate. This is a coming together in love and appreciation. But we were playing off of that. Nonetheless, um, 
it's it's really an issue that has a lot of people very very anguished and understandably so um at one level the level of the world of form we may be living in a time that is the prelude to the end of the human race i mean if global climate change continues at the pace it's going who knows and that is a pretty distressing thing for most of us to think about um the political divide in the United States and certainly in Great Britain and other places is about as extreme as I can remember it in my lifetime. Um, and I'm not so young anymore. So that goes back a lot of years. And whichever side of that divide you're on, the question is there. The other side are the liars. The other side doesn't get it. Um, so this is this is a really tough one. As a course student, what do we do? And I think the first thing is to not go into total denial and try to blanket it all or paint it over with a big, broad brush of love and go, it's all fine. If you don't really think that or feel that, if you do, then that's terrific. But if you don't, then acknowledge the feelings and use them as grist for the mill by giving them to the Holy Spirit. And at the very least, asking, what can I learn from this? What can my feelings bring to me? that will help me to forgive, that will help me to fulfill my part in your plan of atonement. Um, what's the learning here? And you may be surprised what you hear. The other thing I would suggest is to remember, and the course is so clear on this one, that we don't know a darn thing. We really don't. We, you know, we don't know what anything's for. We can't make any judgments. Um, so if we don't know what anything is for, and I, 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 I use this for myself, um, I, you know, I sometimes get triggered by certain political figures who are in the news, a great, 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 great deal. And, um, and I remind myself, what if this was, in fact, the absolute best path towards waking people up or waking the most people up as possible? Would that be worth it? In my sense, it would be, but that's above my pay grade. So I think if we go to, all right, this is, this is above my pay grade, and the task for me is always, how do I use this for my own learning, for forgiveness, to see my brother sinless, and to recognize, as the Course says, what I thought my brother did has never occurred, did not occur, then I think we're at least moving in the right direction. Um, Tam, your thoughts on it? And, uh, uh Course-wise, I couldn't agree more. I would also, and I would also add, um, we're not here to change the world. We're here to change ourselves. And we get very caught up in this world uh, and everything that seems so real and so important and so devastating. And it's not that it isn't a, a truth in this reality for us, but our course practice is to see through that and to reconnect to love in every perception that we have. And for me, when I hear things that I disagree with completely in my mind, that feels like my heart and soul, and I take a step back and breathe, I realize those are not in my heart and soul, they're in my mind. And whatever perception that I put onto someone that I'm appalled with about his or her behavior, I just keep 
going back in to say, allow me to see this differently so that I can help bring that perception of love and unity to this illusion that I'm in. Yeah, I mean, if you go with lesson 193, all things are lessons God would have me learn, that means everything in the outer world of illusion is a lesson to be learned. All of perception is a lesson to be learned because we're dividing and making judgments. So I think what Tam just said is, is just lovely and really kind of the, um, you know, the lotus stone of this, this, this is what we want to come back to. This will point to the real learning. It's not about what's out there. There is nothing out there. It's about what's in here. And if you don't experience instant forgiveness, you know, pour it into a glass, add water, stir and drink it and you light up. Um, if that's not what's happening, please don't use that as an excuse for guilt. We have time in the hands of the Holy Spirit so that we are given time to learn. And if your intention is to forgive, is to see this differently, then you watch it, it, the learning does sink in. So give yourself the time. Don't increase your guilt and see every single iteration that comes up that triggers you as an opportunity to heal your own mind, not the world. And of course, when you heal your mind, the world gets better anyway in your mind. I would like to add to this because as, as Bob is speaking so beautifully and I have such appreciation for what he brings here. Bob and I are co-presidents. And in that little microcosm um, of our experience of what it is uh, to be in leadership roles that we also try and turn over in a group at the Foundation for Inner Peace as equal in knowing that the only true leader is Holy Spirit. Um, in that, these same challenges come up with different appearances as happens in the rest of the world or in, in any, it's just as political as anywhere else. Bob and I have disagreements and my mother comes in and has her personality and there's some people who need to be organized and structured and others who feel that that's just completely constricting. And in that we project things on each other. And it is no different. There are times where I felt people in our organization being uh, acting as I would perceive Trump in a, in a negative spirit. And then I realized, oh my God, that's me. Look what I'm doing today because I'm so angry like this. And, I'm, and so it's constantly humbling to know for me that we're each everyone. We're all one and each, each reflections. And I have to continually heal that in myself before I ever go out there and judge someone else. Unfortunately, that's not usually the order I do it in, but that is my intent. And it is a beautiful thing to be part of an organization where we're being asked to, to play a role and what that means. And so it's been a, an incredible opportunity during these times. Um, to look at our internal politics and for, for our choices in the foundation, it is constantly bringing every situation back to love so that we can emanate from our microcosm 
our belief system that we are that love and hoping that other political systems, groups of any kind anywhere are doing the same to be authentic and put that out. So just wanted to add that as a personal experience in all of this. Yeah, I mean, it's great. You know, if we're not doing it at home, then who cares what's going on on the television set? So I want to thank, thank both you, for your contributions on that question. I want to just um, see if I can acknowledge a new live question that came in that's still on this issue of how do we respond to the politics of the world with spirit rather than ego masquerading as spirit without seeming to attack? Can you give examples of dialogue? So I want to just kind of repeat some of the things that I got from listening to both Bob and Tam is, Take a deep breath, relax, step back, ask for help, ask for Holy Spirit to guide us. Because I think if we come from that place, then we'll know what to say. So we can't necessarily give examples of dialogue, but it's shifting the perception, taking a minute, taking a breath. Do you guys have anything else to add to that? Examples of dialogue is being requested, but I'm not sure if we can do that. I feel like it's through the course we have these ways that we each have to do it. Well, dialogue not, with who? Yeah. Dialogue in any means of political issues where you're coming into that uh, problem of comparison, of divide, of this side and that side. I have an answer. Um, it may not be the answer anyone's looking for, but I can say that from my childhood on in watching my mother, her second husband and her third husband lead and run this organization. They were always three very different personalities. Put them together in way back with my mother and the scribes, Helen and Bill, Rowan Ken, there were so many different belief systems about so many different things. And some of them incredibly um, strong and spoken in very harsh voices. And every single time that I got to watch and every single time now that I experienced that in this organization, when everyone stops having their say about what side they're on, and when we sit together and meditate and ask, there has never once been a time where we have not all gotten the same answer. And we may get the same answer in different forms uh, and in different styles, but we all get the same answer and release our ego, our ego desires, words, opinions to that answer and peace comes in and it's it's an extraordinary process so when i see the conflict of different sides inside me i go into conflict how does that how does that resolve and the answers come so again the asking for help if there is conflict about different dialogues and different sides asking for help inside for one's own peace in moving mm -hmm. through that is what i do because I, I can't offer anything else except my own experience based on what I get from the course and how to practice it. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, 
the only dialogue is with the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> really, and the Holy Spirit as as she shows up in your brother's. Um, notice the neat little thing I did with gender there. Um, as she shows up in your brother's. Ha ha. Uh, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of little mental tricks that I could offer. I, I think they're going to take us off the subject. I, I love what Tam said. I, I think it fundamentally comes down to I could see peace instead of this. And if I'm not seeing peace, do I want to see peace? If I don't want to see peace, why not? If I do, then what's the next step, Holy Spirit, in leading me towards peace? And then what's the next step after that? And what's the next step after that? And at some point, you will find you feel peaceful. And again, waking up does not necessarily mean if we're still in, in around here, there may be levels, and Bobby can address this, um, that the, everything's going to disappear. You know, in the process, we may still be here as we awaken and, and become more conscious of love and uh, Holy Spirit. And in that, it just means how we walk amidst the conflict, uh, amidst what's out there. And in that level of awakening, which many of us are in, experiencing love, but then still seeing the conflict, as we remove to get deeper and deeper into not seeing any of it. But in that level, it's truly what we, the peace we bring amidst this conflict. It doesn't mean that someone's not gonna shoot someone else out there in the stream. It means how, what is our response? How do we bring to it? And even in that response in hearing about someone else being shot when i can come to a place of peace and remembering who we really are all healing is connected and i i do believe that even the sufferers of that get a bit transformed and it touches great let's take this to another arena i think that we keep circling from back to the wisdom of the course in all its different flavors. So we have uh, a series of questions that are related around the course's teaching that the world is unreal with things in the world that are disturbing and seem to call out for some kind of action. I think that this is all going to go back to the, the questions that we just tackled, but anything else, we feel this sense of action there are things that are disturbing, but the Course says they're unreal. Well, you know, yeah, the Course is pretty clear that the world is unreal. Um, I know there are certain subgroups within the Course community that, uh, that you know, don't want to take that in, and that's fine. I mean, we all learn in whatever way and whatever form works best for us. Um, <sighs> You know, what I was going to say completely slipped my mind because my screen just went completely black here. Um, so I'm going to pause and recapture what it was where I was going with that. Um, Tam, if you have any anything, please jump in and rescue the silence. I will jump in to say, again, it's different levels. And my mother has said over the years, don't mix levels. Um, and for me, when it comes to action, 
it's, I call it the doobie doobie doo dance. Uh, there are times where I am told to be and to just be, and there are times I am told to do. And that, that translates even to reaching for this bottle and drinking it. That's an action. And then there are actions if one is called to help and feels that calling, then that's in alignment with their own listening. And that's what's appropriate in this level to help. And there are others who are called not to because that's not hitting their level of ego or personality to need to participate in that way. Um, and so those who rise up to do that for that is, is just what they're being called to do. But again, I just would keep saying for myself, I listen, I try to listen first. Is this an alignment or is this reactive? And I think active is different than reactive. And being active is in alignment with what we are being asked to do. And reactive is coming straight from the mind or the body or the flight and fight and, and just be aware which, which place uh, I, as I say, I'm not good at giving advice. I just say for me, I am trying always to be aware which one I'm coming from. Yeah, I agree completely with all of that. And, um, you know, it's, it's so essential to remember, not only do we not know what anything is for, we don't know what we are. And so the moment we strike out to try to, you know, uh, Don Quixote fence those windmills and make the world a better place, it's pretty certain that we're, we're trotting down the wrong path. As Tam said, if you've asked and you're getting a clear message that, oh, this is what I'm called to do, that's a different story. Um, in fact, uh, you know, we might take a little segue and talk about Marianne Williamson's run for president in terms of that, that, you know, this is her guidance and there are people in the course community who are loving it. There are people in the course community who think she's, you know, gone off her rocker. It doesn't matter if it's her guidance, it's her guidance. And we don't know what it's ultimately for. So if we don't know what the world is and we don't know what we are, we're in a pretty lousy position to try to decide what it is we're supposed to do. On the other hand, we're being trained to be miracle workers. And the beauty of a miracle is we don't do it. It comes through us. It rearranges time. It rearranges perception. So maybe our job in any situation, whether we're in the midst of something going on that's really you know, terrible, like a family Thanksgiving dinner with a political argument, or whether we're just hearing it on the news, maybe our job is to be the one who can hold that in such a way that we offer it to the Holy Spirit so that miracles can come through. And the course is pretty clear. We may never see the result of that miracle. We don't need to see the result of that. The Holy Spirit will take our intention, our sense of peace, our desire to come at this from a place of oneness rather than fractionation in individual mind, um, he'll, he, she will take this and use it wherever it's best used. So, you know, anything that comes up is just another opportunity for forgiveness, but also another opportunity to perhaps be that miracle worker that Jesus and Holy Spirit are attempting to train us to be. 
So just one more thing about this. Um, Tam, you talked about it a little bit. Don't mix levels. Can you just elaborate a little bit more? That was a, a question that came in live while we've been discussing this. You know, actually, I would like Bob to answer this because sure. I can answer it more clearly in terms of uh, specific course terminology. Yeah, so the, I think the easiest way to think of this is in terms of two different levels. You know, there's the level at which God and the Holy Spirit exists. That's a level of pure, undivisible, undivided love and oneness. Nothing else can exist there. That's reality with a capital R. And that is our true self as well. We're God's creation. Um, as God's creation, that is our being. We, we, you know, God created us, the Course tells us, by extending that love. Uh, I like to call it level one for obvious reasons, because it's about oneness. Then there's what I'd like to call level two, because it's about duality. And down here in level two, where we're using our eyes and our ears, we see everything as fraction, uh, as broken up and fractionated. I mean, the Course tells us all the ego knows how to do is separate, divide, and judge. It was made in that image, so to speak, and therefore that's all it, it can achieve. So when Tam talks about, and Judy too, about mixing levels, it's trying to pretend that we're all at level one and, you know, and, and bringing that level of oneness down here into the illusion and somehow working with it here. So, for example, um, people sometimes take the course, quote, I need do nothing. And so, you know, it's all good. It's all one. You don't need to do anything. That's a great example of mixing levels. If you're at level one, no, you don't need to do anything because doing is done by a body and you're not a body. And what's there to do when you're already everything and everything is love? You know, it just simply doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. Um, the Course tells us don't bring truth into illusion like that. Bring the illusion to the truth, which means we start where we are. Lesson 333 talks about um, how conflict cannot be avoided. It has to be addressed at its source, where we believe it is. Um, you know, if I had my book next to me, I'd pick it up and read the thing. But we have to start in the illusion because that's where we've invested. That's where we believed we are, and that's where all our training puts us. Start in the illusion and then bring that to the Holy Spirit who can bring it to the truth. So mixing levels is, is really, you know, that attempt to um, pretend we're in level one when we're not, and in a sense to project what we think we are in level two, sometimes onto level one as well. I don't know, was that clear? I think that's clear. And I think, um, you know, I, I could talk more about that, but I, I think let's try and keep moving through other people's questions that are here. Yeah, we got a lot of questions. We could talk a long time on each one. Yes. yes. So here's one. How has A Course in Miracles changed your life and how have you been transformed by it? I have a Yiddish expression as just oi. That's <laughs> oi. Um, that is a whole session into itself so to ask that for a quick you know quick he said she said is going to be tough i will just say that it has completely transformed my life um 
in the work that I do, in the way that I see, in the, my commitment to how I move through life, although it innately was there before the course, I've always had a deep connection to Holy Spirit, although I called it my friend at age three. Um, but the commitment to the discipline of the practice, the applied practice of daily lessons um, has allowed my focus to uh, be much more direct and to get to actually see the specific implementation of a practice and the love reflected back um, has been personally transformational. That's my quickest answer for that one. And Bob? Yeah, it completely transformed me. I'm not a body. I'm free. I'm as God created me. And if you're seeing me as a body, you got some work to do. Um, no, I'm just teasing. Um, yeah, it, it has completely transformed. Well, let me start by saying I think the fundamental thing that the course is trying to teach us is to know know thyself. You know the words that were inscribed over the uh, Oracle of Delphi. Um, where people came to learn the future and learn their destiny. Well, you can't know your destiny if you don't know who and what you are. So to that end, I would say that my, you know, 40 plus year journey with the course has guided me in the most exquisite, um, gentle way uh, that has spared me from fear to begin and um, implement a sense of self that truly is not body focused. I can recall back in the early 1990s saying to um, my wife, Emmanuel, you know, sometimes I feel like there's this, this great intelligence, this, this being, and he kind of pops in and looks through my eyes and looks around and goes, oh, that's what's happening. Oh, okay. And then, and then gone. Um, I, I can honestly say now that that vastness is with me all the time and I'm the one who chooses to pull away from it. I'm the one who says, well, yeah, that's pretty wonderful and that piece feels great, but who's going to do the dishes tonight or what are we having for dinner? And, and so the learning process truly is a transformation in the sense of, you know, I, I'm not what I thought I used to be. And in that comes the peace and comes the love. You know, I'll notice that things that would have really triggered me. Um, I have a very hair trigger startle response. And, um, you know, when I get startled, there'd be an immediate kind of a, oh, who did that? Why did they do it? And now it's kind of like, oh, startle. Um, yeah, that's amusing. Ha, huh, look, that happened again. You know, there's no need, as Tam was saying earlier, to react. It's, it's another opportunity to just affirm that I can climb back into peace very quickly and easily. So I would say, I mean, and, and obviously my life is transformed. I mean, I retired from psychiatry at age 60 to take this work. And um, that has been a huge transformation. But it really, you know, if you look at it just in terms of the outer world, that that's not what it's about. The outer just reflected the inner that happened because, you know, I was ready to have that happen. And apparently, you know, the Holy Spirit in her infinite wisdom thought that that's what I should be doing with Tam. So to me, it's, it's that transformation in my sense of self. 
And that begins to change everything. Because then when I look at the political characters on TV or when, when I'm having a dust up with Tam or one of my kids or whatever, there's that recognition of I'm not what I thought. They're not what I thought, you know, and, and if I can reach that level and bring the illusion to the truth, well, the best thing is I feel better. So that's what I would say to that question. Yeah, Sam, you have anything? I, I would just add that for me, the, the particular difference in practicing the course versus just moving through my own ways of being loving um, is that I actually see conflict in my life as opportunity for healing versus opportunity for being self-righteous and saying, you know, oh, well, I'm rising above that or this or that. But instead, those opportunities are for me to get to see and transform something in my own self. And uh, Ram Dust made a comment that I really loved. And it does, it transfers over here, which is he said, you know, I could be in India completely enlightened and three minutes home with my father, he would take the whole thing away from me. And then I got to see that that was my best friend coming home and getting to see that opportunity instead of saying, I don't want this, I'm gonna move over here, I'm not gonna to talk to my father, was what I used with my father. Um, it was, oh, this is the opportunity for me to do my practice and to see how I can affect change in myself. So. Exactly, exactly. That's great. So here's a more practical question. How, for students who are maybe beginners, how do they study? How do they study the course? Um, and when will I see results perhaps for more um, advanced, if you can say advanced students of the course? Okay. Um, I always say begin at the beginning, but since the course has three different books in it, we have a choice. Which one do we want to begin at the beginning of? This might sound strange to you, especially if you are a complete novice and have never picked up A Course in Miracles, but I would suggest that you sit quietly, you go inside, you affirm, I have no clue which direction to proceed in. Which book should I start with, the text, the workbook, or the manual for teachers? Some people start with the text, which is by far and away, you know, sort of the heaviest, the most theoretically dense, and in its first hundred pages, um, just linguistically the most difficult to get into. Others start with the workbook, which is by far and away, you know, where the rubber meets the road and where it gets practical, but it, you know, it moves you pretty darn fast. Um, and some go to the manual for teachers, which is in question and answer format and probably the best written in that sense and the most approachable. Start getting in the habit of asking and just see what you get um, and, and start there. Of course, you can also start wherever you feel you should. And I put should in quotes. And if you find you're meeting resistance, go somewhere else. Personally, I started reading um, the text and doing the workbook lessons at the same time. Um, took me almost two years to get through the workbook the first time, plus an additional year to get through the text. Worked for me, and I'm still going through them. Um, as to when you're going to see results, 
let's be careful there because the ego is going to, you know, your ego mind is going to define the results that you think you should be seeing in a particular way. You know, when am I going to see auras around people? When will I be able to levitate? When will I be able to, you know, walk into a bar fight and by my very presence have everyone just drop their bottles and get real quiet and look at me and stare? You know, we have... You know, I've said it over and over and I'm going to say it again. We just don't know. So if you can approach it with an open mind and maybe just set your intention as I'd like to feel greater peace and love in my life, I think you'll probably see some results fairly quickly. You may not even recognize what they are right away, um, but people start to change and it's not because of anything you do. Suddenly someone shares a story with you that allows you to feel tremendous love and empathy for them, or they just start behaving differently out of the blue. And you're kind of like, where's this coming from? But, you know, we're used to change as the ego conceptualizes it. And just be forewarned, this plays out in a very different way. It's removing layers that block the awareness of love's presence. Whereas we as egos tend to think not of removal and unlearning what's false, but in terms of doing and achieving and mastering challenges. So just get real clear on what seeing results means. That's what I would have to say. And I I would add to that a, a few things. One, I would say, something that I have learned from the course that no one else needs to believe, but I'm still going to offer it. This is a living document. It, there's something that breathes in it. It has its own knowledge. And, you know, some people will pick up the course and then they'll have it on a bookshelf for 12 years. And then suddenly it'll fall off the bookshelf and they'll say, oh my gosh, this is time to do this. And it's not wrong or bad if you start it and then you put it down and then you pick it up again. It it's almost like the moment you connect with it, there is a relationship and it will, it will weave through you. Now, I remember my second stepfather, Whit, um, when he met my mother, he said that he, you know, he, I, I may not even get this quite right, but he was almost finished with it because he could do a few lessons a day. And she laughed because that is one of the things that it does say, which is if you're doing a lesson, do one a day. It's not a speed through course. Um, also, when they got to the end, and I know my mother was um, doing it with Helen and Bill and finished, and my mother said, oh, I'm ready to do it again. And Helen said, it never said to do it again. Um, and yet they did. Uh, so it, it, it can be never ending. And you can ask a question, open it up to any page and see what, what answer comes. Um, like a fortune cookie in a strange way. And yet there's some resonance in part of it is your own um, relationship with trust and, and starting to trust the voice that is coming through that it knows how to teach you as well. And that that timing is perfect. Now, Bill, and correct me if I'm wrong on this exact statement, Bob, but when Bill was asked um, in his life, how do you know the course is working for you? What's your measure or gauge? His answer was, how short a time it takes me now to forgive. And so everyone does have their own measurements. For me, I would say it's much closer to that. How, how much calmer am I in my life? How much, when something's about to flare up, do I remember my lesson of the day? And I find it incredibly amazing that I can remember something 
tiny little nasty thing someone said about me all throughout the day, but to remember what the sentence was of the lesson of the day, I have to look on my phone 18 times throughout the day. Why would I block that out? So different ways. Oh, I'm remembering my lesson today throughout the day. I'm remembering what it was without looking it up. All things like that, you can, you can find your own gauge for you. What is my metric? And we all have different metrics. But I would say that the collective wisdom in this is how much more peace are you feeling? And how much are you connected to love or reminding yourself to be? And that's it. And often too, and I want to say this because I think it's important. I know there was a story with Ken once where he passed a woman and she said, oh, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm doing the course. And he said, you know, how, how has that been for you? And she said, absolutely wonderful. And he said, then you're not doing it right. So don't expect it to be all peace, as Bob was saying uh, at, at first. It's a process. It's an unlearning and then a learning. And there's patience and you can feel like throwing it out the window. Uh, it will come back. It will crawl its way back. Uh, <laughs> if there's a page you don't like, there's the joke, rip it out. Go to the next page. Don't get too stuck. Just keep trusting and moving through that as you choose to change the perceptions, that's all that's necessary. And it says too, one last thing I will say, you don't need to in this course in order for it to work. So you don't even have to have metrics. If you just do it and you don't believe a single thing, just watch, you may watch a year later and look back, but something's gonna happen. Well, yeah, that, that is the proof of it. I mean, the course, it's totally freaking insane if you look at it from the perspective of where we all come from. And the only way that you begin to realize that you're insane not the course is when you put it into practice and lo and behold it actually works because if it's working then it must be based in in a reality that that you don't know anything about um, i would also just want to echo uh, thank you so much tam for mentioning that it's a living book for those who aren't completely new for those who may have done it for 10 15 20 years I can promise you, and you've probably already had this experience. I mean, in our course groups, we always joke about how we'll get to a section of the text or the workbook, and we'll ask ourselves, why did we underline that passage? This one next to it is clearly the more important one. It, will, it grows with you. You see into it more and more and more. And to recognize that um, it's a holographic document. When I first started reading the course, I thought it was about a lot of different things. Now I realize it's, it, it's about one thing only, you know, spun off in infinite variations. And that's uh, what it says, you know, in the introduction, nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. We're trying to distinguish between what's real and unreal. And as you get into it, it will engage with you. And Tam's right. Um, sometimes, even if you try to get away from it, um, you'll find you're drawn back. Yes, and one, one thing, too, in that, as Bob said, you can read a sentence in it today, and in three weeks, it can have a different yeah. level of meaning for you. And it's an extraordinary, it's an extraordinary relationship. Also, Bob's yeah. talking about insanity, and the first thing that came to mind as he's saying it is just the word itself actually means you're in 
insanity uh, rather than insane. So the course, it's seeming that it's insanity. Well, you know, it's the perspective. And as the course says, the perspective is a mirror, not a fact. So perception, perception. perception. Sorry, <laughs> I'm always misquoting anyway. There you go. So, okay, next. I think that was a great, healthy dialogue about studying the course at different levels and, and metrics for how do we know if we're getting there. Watch out, ego. <laughs> so next, let's get to a practical course question. How do we get rid of fear? <laughs> huh. Well, you know, the question, once again, kind of, um, you know, tattles on itself as coming from an ego perspective when it uses the word get rid of, because the moment we're trying to get rid of something, um, you know, what is the old, um, you know, S thing, uh, you know, resistance makes persistence. You want to get rid of it, it's probably going to be there. We don't get rid of it, we expose it for what it really is, which is a misunderstanding about the world and about ourselves. Again, it's an unlearning, not a learning. So if you're trying to get rid of fear, you're afraid of your own fear. And if you're afraid of your own fear, you're still afraid. Whereas, and here, here I go, you know, repetitive again, if you say, I don't know what to make of this, I'd like to give it to the Holy Spirit, I would like to feel peace instead of this, now you're on the right track. Because we can't just get rid of things. In the unconscious mind, there is no such thing as a negative. I always used to tell my uh, hypnosis students, if you say, don't think of a zebra, whatever you do, you think of a zebra and then you get it out of your mind. You know, that, that, that's how it works. So um, we don't get rid of things. We have to make a space in which they're replaced by something else. And fear is replaced by peace and is replaced by love. Yeah, I, I would answer the same thing. And the, um, there isn't really, the fear appears in so many different ways. And when you realize that, again, it's all another form of illusion and trigger, the biggest thing is you are, in, especially in practicing the course, you are in relationship, you can ask for help. And it's help uh, that comes in to help you see how to release the fear back to love. But never forget that anytime you come to a block, ask for help. It's right there. That's yep. Thank you so much, both of you. So here's another one. Um, I think we've all touched on this, like Bob said, holographic or spiral circling, but there's a thirst for us to keep digging into these questions. So another one is how do we stay present? I, I'm thinking about Tam's moment of take a deep breath, pause. What other things or ways to be present does the course teach us? Huh. I'm gonna start with just one sentence and hand it over to you. For one of the ways that we as a group and individually stay present is we say a prayer together. So we stop a moment and we say a prayer to bring us into the room, into our bodies, into this moment at that time. And Bob, you can continue. Well, to me, the question goes to one of the great hoaxes that the ego has pulled on us in that, how can you not be in the present? 
you're always in the present. The present is the only thing that exists. And so the big hoax is that our, our minds have us living in the past and projecting that into the future and putting those big, heavy chunks of past and future together to try to squeeze out the present. And yet, you know, one of the few things uh, I, I, in, in some of my groups, I'll say there are only two things that we're capable of sharing here in the world of illusion. One is love because love is our essence and it's, it's nature to share. The other is the present moment because it's all that really exists. So the question really, once again, is how do I free myself from my thoughts of the past and the future in order to experience the present? This is what meditators try to do, but the course tells us um, we don't really need to meditate with that goal in mind. It's about an undoing. So um, free yourself from the past, recognize your judgments. Every judgment comes from the past. Every judgment you have is based on some learning about how the world works, how people work, and you are binding the people you love or could love to your version of the past every time you use it. So each time you catch yourself in a judgment from the past, you can just go, you know, I, I choose to release this. I'd like to replace this with something more peaceful, more loving. Whenever you go to the future, future is usually determined by either fear, what do we want to plan and get away from, or sort of fantasy and wishes. Ooh, when I win that big lottery, I'm going to just, you know, here's what I'm going to do with all that money. Um, unhook from that too, because you have no clue what's going to make you the happiest. Uh, you know, most lottery winners wind up giving away all their money and feeling miserable within the space of a couple of years. You don't know. So how do you, how do you stay in the present? By recognizing when you're not in the present, um, in your mind, because you're always in the present. And one other thought, the course tells us that, um, and this one I know because I just did it in another um, talk I did, in text chapter 17, section four, it's, uh, or no, section three, it says the present is forgiveness. I'll say it again, with is italicized, the present is forgiveness. So when you're forgiving, you're in the present because you can't forgive if you're holding on to the past in judgments. So another way to get to the present is practice forgiveness. And another 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 way is um <laughs> to to receive and listen instead of interacting um in a, a a mental capacity so so when one is receiving i mean we're being given the present it's the gift and listening um also can often bring us to stop and actually have to listen puts us in the present or, or the let's say the experience of the present which is different as bob said we're in the present anyway but to be experiencing that feeling of being in the present these are some some practices i think that's beautiful i think that your discussion about how do we stay in the present is a great way to pivot to and you already started talking about forgiveness so there were multiple questions about what is forgiveness and how do we practice forgiveness? So how do we really practice? But let me just give you one other component of the question of, can you define forgiveness? So you just talked about it being present is forgiveness. I think I have it confused with forgetting and I seem to hold on to hurts forever. 
Well, I'll just offer a quick course quote. You know, forgiveness is a selector of remembering based not on your selection. Um, I'll say that again more slowly. Forgiveness is a selective remembering based not on your selection. So back to Tam saying that, you know, some little thing that really bugged her can stay in her mind all day. That's her selection. You give it to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's going to say, that's not my selection. Um, here's what you could, could notice instead. So, you know, I mean, we could... <laughs> We could do a multi-day workshop on forgiveness, and I know that we will come back to that in, in future webinars, and I, I don't want um, to make light of it, but I would just go back to what I, as you pointed out, Tara, what I said in the last question. Essentially, forgiveness is um, about recognizing the judgments we make and being willing to release those and then actually doing the releasing. And here's what I will say. This is a process that goes far deeper than most of us have any idea. Um, it, it, we start with those judgments that just float on the surface of the mind and that we're very acutely aware of because they're causing us tremendous distress. And that's where we should start. That's what's front and center. But the more you do this work and the more you sort of sink down into the miasma of the ego's thought system, you discover, and, and it, it really is quite astounding, that your mind is, is running judgments about everything all the time. You know, is this going well? Is that going well? That could be different. That person on the street is saying this. This one smiled at me. This one didn't. I mean, it, it, it's like, I mean, it's a cacophony. And, um, you know, so you just sort of take them as they come up. Uh, but, but I think fundamentally, um, forgiveness is about releasing judgments um, and releasing grievances. But once again, grievances are based on judgment. If you have no judgments, you can't have any grievances. So that's kind of the real short cliff note version of, you know, how do you forgive? Um, Tam? Uh, I would add again we're again there's different levels so on one level forgiveness is knowing that none of this ever happened and that's very very hard to take in when someone killed someone else that never happened so the question as i heard it as well as um tara explained it is not forgetting uh so then i think we also get into discernment and judgment you can you can let go of something and and enter into a place of love and it not hold in judgment anymore but it doesn't mean it in this level for instance if you touched your hand on a stove and got burnt it's ow oh bummer this hurts uh you can remove that oh this was a, a learning experience and instead of you can go deep and say this never happened and just become om and one about it uh and in a really deep level the burn can go away if you're in true christ consciousness but in, in this this other level of the illusion that many of us seem to be uh working through uh it's a remembering every time that 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 stove you might not want to touch put your hand in it but without anger and without judgment and just say oh we're sharing an agreement that that's going to burn me 
uh, or hurt me right now. I see that with love and I don't need to test it yet by putting my hand through it. Then there are people who walk through fire. And so bring it to a different level, but it's about where we, where we bring judgment to the past which is in the not forgetting of the past, if you can release the judgment of it uh, and make it more neutral as part of the illusion, uh, it's a step towards uh, allowing just the love and the illusion itself to come through without the negativity in it. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that it's not getting too complicated with the different aspects of illusion because there really are different ways and of learning and each person has their own in their own way. Well, I think all of this discussion is very helpful that we have these different terms that are so important and so deep and yet also resonantly become all related. So then it's like, what's the next question? Um, but, you know, again, it's another theme I'm battling a sense of drudgery and obligation for the worldly tasks associated with my job which is, I should mention, my dream job aligned with my charge in this lifetime. How do I reconcile and deal with these feelings? Well, I'm going to say dream jobs was the perfect word to use. Because, <laughs> because yes. one, uh, one of the ways that we can see this world of illusion is like a dreamer like we are in a dream and our true selves are aw awake and within this dream we are trying to wake up back to the presence of love which is our true self so if you see us trapped in our own dreams there's some people who can do lucid dreaming where they can suddenly do wonderful tricks in their dreams um i can only tell you an experience that i have and see how it relates to your dream job which is that I got very interested in lucid dreaming and I started to wake up in my illusion dreams of, oh, I'm dreaming, I can fly now, I can do this and that. And at some point it became boring because I was doing all these tricks and creating things. I just won the lottery in my dream, how amazing. But then it wasn't enough. I just flew, but then it wasn't enough. I kept wanting more no matter what my dreams were until I started to, in my dreams, realize I actually want to be experiencing peace and love in my dreams. And that was a harder trick to do because it was the same as what I'm doing in this dream. So to have a dream job and it become drudgery, you're in this level of illusion and nothing but bringing yourself back to if this is your true passion of awakening and a commitment to love, nothing else is going to do it. No person, no great dream man or woman, uh, no perfect child, nothing. Everything is going to have a different pallor after you achieve what you think your dream wish or want is. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Um, I was going to ask, well, which part of yourself dreamed this job? Uh, you know, the way we, we learn is <laughs> we, we learn by either getting the things we want to discover that, oh, that didn't satisfy me, or by being deprived of the things we want so that we learn, oh, I didn't need that to be happy. 
And, um, you know, between those two polarities, that's where the learning happens. So great, you got your dream job, or I would say probably your ego's dream job with some truth in it, because, you know, the ego will take what is inspirational and dress it up in drudgery and make it uh, something like that. Um, I could say that I'm in my dream job, but boy, there sure are days where I wish it would just disappear. So when that happens, realize once again that, you know, here's an opportunity to um, recognize illusion where illusion is. You, you can't satisfy yourself within the world of dreams, as Tam was just demonstrating in the world of, of sleep dreams. Um, and that's pretty cool stuff. But at the end, it wasn't so cool. You know, whatever you think you want, job, relationship, riches, fame, brilliance, um, achievement, you know, at the end of the day, your body's going to be dead and it'll be gone. And usually it's going to vanish in terms of its ability to satisfy you well before that. You know, I hear a, um, a lot of complaints about the course of how negative it is about the world. Well, you know, if you really, really are willing to open your eyes and look at the world, this is the truth of it. Its pleasures are fleeting. Um, its losses and pains are guaranteed. You know, think about it this way. Every single person you love is going to die. That's not a very nice world. From the Holy Spirit's perspective, every single person you know and love is going to awaken to love. Which of those would you rather choose? So back to you're in your dream job. It's turned into a drudgery. Welcome it. Love the drudgery. Find a way to be with it where you are at peace and loving it. And not because you're forcing yourself, not because your ego says, oh, in order to be holy, I have to, to judge this. I mean, I have to love it. Um, realize that what you're doing is really fairly irrelevant to your progress or what's going on. The, the outer form is only relevant to the extent that the Holy Spirit uses us to help us communicate to others who are lost. So if in your job you're in a, the best place to communicate and be um, a teacher of peace, then you'll probably stay there and the job will begin to change. On the other hand, if it's a pure ego pipe dream and, you know, and it's not serving that at all and you dedicate yourself to peace, you might find uh, that some other job comes along and you realize, oh, this is, this is my out of the dream job. I, I like this one a lot better. Well, yeah. thank you both for that. So let's let's take that and pivot it again. You, Tam and Bob, are in your job together. And we had a question of, while listening to both of you, I kept thinking about the relationship between Helen and Bill, the two scribes of A Course in Miracles. I wonder if the clash of their different personalities is what shed more light. Does this happen with you, Tam and Bob? Also, would your clashing of personalities help bring light? I, let me just jump in quickly. Uh, we have one advantage, a tremendous advantage that Helen and Bill didn't have. We've got A Course in Miracles. <laughs> Tam, you were going to say something. Why bother? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can say... I, I, really, that's really the answer. I mean, I, yeah. I can say that, yes, uh, but it's no different than clashing of personalities with everyone. 
it's the choice. Does that bring light or does that not bring light for one? It doesn't matter about Bob, you know, and me. It matters of what each of our commitment is. And yes, when Bob and I clash about something, it's we clash and it's always funny in retrospect, particularly. There's some is humor about it. And then when we stop, the love constantly tells us where to meet and, uh, and where to release. And there's sometimes where I will say something and I, I know it's this way, Bob. And Bob will say, I know it's this way. And we'll both ask and I'll hear, ooh, Bob was right. And I hate admitting that. And I hear it and I say, you know, I you're right and vice versa. And it's humbling and it's amazing because we do come from two different perspectives. But as I say, it's no different than myself and someone else and Bob and you know his wife or anyone else or in our lives. So yes, Bob's answer was the correct one. We are practicing the course and that, and Bill and Helen were engaged in bringing the course forth, but you know, the commitment was different, certainly for Helen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really helpful. I want to just see if we can be mindful of the time and also throw in one more question before we head to a closing. So we have a question and, and a couple come in different variations on this theme about the course was intended in some people's perception as a self-study course to enable us to better clear our minds to connect with source. Um, would it be more helpful to encourage self-study versus group discussion? Um, it's really a question about self-study versus relationship. How, how do we tackle this? I mean, I think ultimately the course is teaching us to live and practice through relationship, but I'll just leave it there on your plates. Well, I would say- Well, if you're not practicing in a group of at least a thousand people, you're not doing it right. Um, I was going to say that for me, um, I don't really love group study and never have. And for me, I have a relationship internally with a spirit that's strong and guides me. And yet when I join with, I, I have what my Bob actually called and then my mother took it on the slow learners group because Bob and my mother um, have been doing the course for so many years and I joined in, I really get um, some different, uh, some different feelings from hearing their wisdom about the course. Uh, in the same way, you know, the course, the true teacher is spirit. So it doesn't really matter. It, it, can depend upon what you feel at different times in your own practice. But remember, the course came through. It, it materialized because of a difficult relationship. And there, it is about relationship, but it also is how one internally perceives relationship. So I don't, I think it really doesn't matter. Again, ask yourself, what do you want to do? Do you feel like going to a group or for 10 years, do you feel like, you know, practicing it on your own and, and developing it that way? And that's, that's my opinion, but it's really just an opinion. So I have a couple of thoughts. Um, I would say that 
the course is the teaching, but the classroom is a relationship ever and always. You know, um, I'm actually writing about this at, at this very moment, this idea that if we are all a oneness and we believe that we are um, a seven billion and counting different parts, how do you put that mess back together? Well, you do it relationship by relationship, piece by piece. You know, it's very relating to one person is is where the challenge comes in. So, you know, there's the teaching and then there's the classroom. As far as group study goes, there is absolutely nothing in the course that says you should be studying in a group. Um, I don't, I, I think Helen would have, and Bill both would have said, no, nothing, no reason to do that. And people gather in groups because they find it reinforcing. Um, over the decades, I've been in quite a number of groups, and I will say this, I, in my experience, the best groups, that means the ones that I looked forward to going to and enjoyed and left with a sense of peace and even um, a certain invigoration about practicing, were completely egalitarian. What I mean by that is the leader, quote unquote, was simply the person who either hosted it at their house or who um, you know, was designated on the internet to answer email questions. But within the space of the group, everyone's thoughts and impressions and experience were welcome. And in fact, the content for the group would usually rotate around the group and a different person would be responsible. The ones that I think work the least poorly is where one person designates themselves as the teacher and tells the others what the course says. So that gets us back to, is it indeed a self-study course? Well, it's a study of the self course, and I guess that makes it a self-study course. It has workbook lessons that we can only really do on our own, so I think that makes it a self-study course. And fundamentally, your teacher is not anyone around you, except, as I said, they're the classroom. Your teacher's the Holy Spirit. So it's about developing this beautiful relationship with the most personal, custom-designed, absolutely knowing mentor that you could ever find. And if you cultivate that relationship, which I believe the, the early workbook lessons in particular help us do, so that you begin to hear that voice that is not the ego voice and learn how to discriminate it from, from all the other nonsense, then you are able to practice and study however you like. You can go to groups if that appeals. You know, if um, you're at the supermarket and you're looking at the jobs board and wow, there's a Course in Miracles group and it just jumps out at you, maybe check it out. But there's nothing that says anyone has to do groups. Um, you know, fundamentally it is, you know, self-study in that we are studying the self under the direct mentoring of the Holy Spirit. And that's what counts. Well, I think that this is a beautiful way to kind of close our discussion today. So we're discussing we're individuals in human bodies and we are all one and let the Holy Spirit guide us. So I want to just say thank you, Bob. Thank you, Tam. Thank you, moderators. Thank you for everyone who's joined us today. It's uh, inspiring. It's 
very helpful. I hope it was helpful to everyone who's tuned in, uh, whether live or in the recording. And we do have future, um, let's discuss uh, webinars coming up in the future um, on August 26. And we hope you will join us again. Uh, join us again. I just want to say that for us to all come full circle in oneness, we like to close with silence. Uh, and I will let Bob or Tam go ahead and put us into that peaceful oneness. This holy instant would we give to you be you in charge, for we would follow you. Certain your direction gives us peace. Amen. Amen.